Hello, and welcome to Trending Peoria. I'm your host and proud Peoria Unified alumna, Sarah Meredith, and I'm so eager to take you on this journey as we learn more about the importance of public education and the amazing work our staff do every day to ensure every student is prepared to not only meet tomorrow, but to help shape it as well. What's currently trending in Peoria Unified? Giving back. Peoria Unified is grateful that we are in the position to support those who need it most. Through the support of our McKinney-Vento Homeless and Foster Care team and our Family Resource Center, we are able to serve those who need it most. The Peoria Unified Family Resource Center is designed to provide parents and caregivers the tools they need to support the learning and development of their young children. And our McKinney-Vento Foster Care and Homeless Student Services team helps to reach those who need a lot of extra support and might be housing insecure. Joining us today is Reese Stevens, our McKinney-Vento Homeless and Foster Care Coordinator and our Coordinator of our Family Resource Center, Jessica Harris. Hello and welcome, Reese. We are so excited to have you here. To start, can you share a little bit about yourself and the work you do here in Peoria Unified? Uh, good morning to everyone who may be listening. Good, good morning. I, I really appreciate Sarah inviting me and giving me this opportunity uh, to advocate on the behalf of the special population that we, we call McKinney-Vento or the homeless population. So my name is Reese Stevens. I've been working here for the district uh, for a, roughly three years now. And uh, my job entails uh, McKinney-Vento and I am also the foster care um, point of contact for our district. So, and as it pertains to McKinney-Vento, I, I try my darndest to get the word out there on what these families may look like. What, and when I say families, uh, there are many faces to homelessness. And so we know our traditional family that might be homeless are, are recognizable, which is under a bridge or sleeping in their car or at a homeless shelter or something like that. But there are many faces to homelessness. And um, the, the newest one, which is really not new, but it's it's called Doubled Up, where families are, are multi-generational families are under one roof uh, due to a traumatic event or due to a loss of um, um, employment, uh, some type of economic hardship or, or something to that effect. So the Doubled Up is um, growing super fast, not only in our district, but across the country. So my job here is to help our administrative staff and crossing guards and anyone who will listen to understand and identify the many faces of homelessness. My also, also my job is to provide training to the staff so that we can all be on the same page as far as once a student is identified as homeless, what steps are taken that we can get this student services. So uh, I provide training. I actually go to annual, annual trainings myself for all liaisons and all the district attend to get up-to-date information on how to service this population. So I, I do the McKinney-Vento portion for our district and I also do the foster care portion. Yeah, and I, I cannot imagine, I mean, this isn't um, the most fun line of work and you just, have, you have to have a very special heart to be able to take on this work and do it every day. What interested you in serving these very vulnerable but very important populations here in Peoria Unified? Um, in a nutshell, uh, many jobs, many things that I've done in my life have brought me to this point. But I don't take it as a job. Um, this is who I am as a person, uh, Sarah. I am a helper. I am a community organizer. Uh, I am a leader. I am an advocate. I am a father. I am someone who actually has suffered from homelessness. So this is, it's, it's close to me, but I'm all these things. And I just so happened to, to work for the Peoria Unified District. Um, so I, I'm happy to do it because this is just who I am. It's not even a job. You just do what you can do for students. You do what you can do for families. You do what you can do for your community. And I'm just ha happy to have this role as the liaison and foster care liaison in my district. So um, I'm passionate about it because this is who I am. And uh, it, it's a perfect fit. 
I, I really like how you say that it's, you are all of these things and you just happen to have this job. And I think, um, especially in the line of work that you're in, it is the thing that is probably what makes it possible for you to do, um, what you do a so well and be with just so much compassion, um, and heart and all of the things that make doing this job, at least a little bit more manageable. Um, do you mind sharing with our community who might not know what is the McKinney Vento Act that I know you've brought it up a couple of times and who are all those many different faces of homelessness? Okay, so the McKinney Vento Act is law. It was a law passed in 1987 by Ronald Reagan. Uh, basically, the law states any student or family suffering from the many faces of homelessness uh, are are eligible for services. Um, and these services include uh, our biggest one that we do is transportation services. Uh, sometimes families, uh, um, if you're not very familiar with, with homelessness, some families that are suffering from homelessness are very nomadic. Uh, this means they move around a lot from hotel to a doubled up situation to a shelter to maybe even in their car or on their street. So they move around a lot. So transportation allows um, the district to get behind the student and provide a pickup and a drop off spot so they can stay in their school so that their homelessness is not, is not affecting transportation or their ability to get to school. Another resource that we provide is um, clothes and hygiene items. So um, Sarah, I don't know if you know this, but uh, we have began uh, the new McKinney Vento Resource Center, and it's uh, located on the Alta Loma Elementary Campus. So I used to run this program out of a cubicle at the DAC office, and now I'm at a school. Um, Mr. Harmon, which is the principal administrator here at Alta Loma, has been so uh, inspir in, in, inspirational and uh, helpful in providing me this um, arena. I have a classroom, an old science classroom that I run a program out of. And so in this classroom, we have backpacks and school supplies, which is other resources that we provide. We have uh, hygiene kits. Um, we have socks and underpants and, you know, just just something that kids can grab or families can grab at their fingertips that can help them just kind of stabilize in the classroom. So they're not thinking about shoes. They're not thinking about clothes. They're not thinking about, oh, I don't have that notebook. Uh, they're not thinking about, I didn't brush my teeth this morning. I mean, we, we provide uh, school supplies. We provide clothing and hygiene items, of course, transportation. Uh, another resource that we provide is counseling services. And uh, that's huge for our district. We partner with Southwest Behavioral Health, and that's a wonderful partnership. For our high school high schoolers that are unaccompanied minors or, and also suffering from homelessness, we provide um, outreach services to an organization that we partner with called Homeless Youth Connections. And they have host families that host uh, these unaccompanied minors and let them live in their houses uh, while they're getting ready to graduate from high school. They also, Homeless Youth Connection also provides some of these basic resources and they, they help them apply for colleges and they pay for um, college applications and um, other resources that the McKinney Vento provides is for those high school students. I write letters letting um, financial aid offices and departments know that this student is suffering from homelessness. I provide documents as far as unaccompanied minor documentation and this applica the application itself, the McKinney Vento application itself. So we provide a host of services under the McKinney Vento umbrella. Uh, but the biggest one, uh, and which is uh, where I'm so excited to have this office and have this space, is we provide referrals for community resources. So when a family comes into the resource center, they see all these resources that we have to offer. And then I can sit down with the family and do a proper assessment to find out what is it that's going on with the family and why are they suffering from homelessness? Is it a lack of employment? Is it a lack of skills? Is it mental health? Is it domestic violence? Is I mean, there's just so many reasons why a family may 
be suffering from homelessness and we can sit down and do this assessment so and give out referrals for community resources so that's to me the biggest one um but what i'm trying to do here at, at the district uh and in our community is trying to make sure that families uh once i've identified that they're homeless and, and to make sure that they're not ho homeless or eligible for these services the following year. To me, I wanna get to the root of the problem and fix it so we have uh, independence. Um, and a, a, one of the biggest jobs that I have is really encouraging families and letting them know you can do it, they can do it. All I'm doing is providing a bridge to the resources and, and providing some inspiration. So some families call and they go, oh, I'm homeless, I'm doing this. And then as I do the assessment, we find out that they're not homeless, that they aren't doing it and they're doing a great job, but maybe they just needed to vent to somebody to find out, are they eligible? Where do they need help? And so just because they're not eligible, I still give them resources that they were trying to gain. So let's just say they um, weren't eligible and they were trying to get their kid back and forth to school. And maybe I can encourage them say, hey, there's a school of origin and there's a school of residency. You're currently right now out of your school boundaries. Maybe go to a school that's closest to, the, to, your, to your student to make it easier to go back and forth to school. And so just that little bit of information helps families go, wait a minute, um, I can do this. I, it is possible. And, and hopefully they thank our district for, for providing that resource to them. Definitely. And I really um, like just kind of the overall, um, what you were saying kind of, is there so, there can be so many barriers to, a student receiving an education. Um, and so really a lot of the work that you and your team do is kind of take away those barriers. So it's finding those solutions, whether it is, oh yeah, you are out of your boundaries. If you just um, moved your child to this school, that would alleviate a lot of that and take away that transportation barrier. Or um, for so many of our students, I know uh, just not having clean clothes to wear or shoes that fit or coats in the winter. Those are, those are things that are barriers to them being able to focus in the classroom. And while it might seem really superficial or small to someone who hasn't had to face that trial or tribulation in the past, it, it is huge, especially to a kid who's going through that. Um, and so all of the growth that you guys have going on in your program is just so inspiring and so amazing to hear about because you really are working to remove a lot of the barriers that our students have to being able to come to school and focus and receive the education they need to be successful. I would agree. And so when you say our team, so um, we now have, as, as you know, um, at some of our schools, we have now uh, social workers at our school. So what I've, I've done is decided to work with our social work team. And so when I've identified families, I send those families or uh, their applications to the social worker and try to connect the dots that way. Um, as you can imagine, I, I have 42 schools under my jurisdiction and it's almost next to impossible uh, to case manage 42 schools. Uh, roughly we have 240 families uh, suffering from homelessness in our district that's have, that have been identified. So I have to break down to each school, how many McKinney-Vento students in each school, and then I reach out to that social worker to let them know, these uh, is the special population on your campus that have been identified as McKinney-Vento. Can you please reach out to this family to make sure I haven't missed anything? To make sure, hey, maybe there's, they applied three months ago and somebody needs to follow up with them. And so bridging that gap is also helpful um, because I can't do it alone. So really it is a team, it is a team effort. And our social workers have done a great job of mending that fence, of finding that bridge or helping those families cross that bridge to those resources on their own campus. That's that's amazing. And it's good. I I could not imagine trying to cover a caseload of 240 families, but having that additional support and those other eyes and ears to be looking and who are able to identify some of those signs and many faces of homelessness. Um, I know that there can be just so much stigma 
surrounding homelessness or someone who is just housing insecure, what do you want to share with our community about those families? Or if there is a family who might be struggling, but they don't feel that they can ask for help due to that stigma, what, what advice would you give them? Well, for our staff, I would, I would give the advice of don't judge. Um, we all could experience homelessness in the future, or maybe we've experienced it in the past. We all need help at some time in our lives. If we can just have some empathy um, and really think about the kids. The kids are, to me, what's the most important. So really, the McKinney-Vento Act is designed to help students, but we know it's the, it's the mom and dads, it's the grandparents, it's the foster care parents, it's the surrogate parents. Those are the ones that are actually suffering from the homelessness. And so we don't want to isolate students and say, you're different than us, because they're not. It's, let's provide a stable environment. Let's provide a, a educational environment. Let's provide a safe environment so that these students can talk to us um, because yes, indeed, they will put on the, the face. They will act like there is nothing wrong. Uh, parents do the same thing. We, we all as human beings want to fit in. We want to make everyone believe that everything is okay. But if we can provide a safe space, um, now they start to let their guard down and let us know what's going on in their lives. Uh, this is happening a lot now. I, when I when I started here at the district, we didn't have um, as many McKinney-Vento families, and I believe that's due to um, the stigma. I remember reaching out to certain schools, and they're telling me, oh, we don't have homeless families. And I thought, you don't have not one homeless family? <laughs> and, they, and they would say, yes, they were very sincere about, yeah, we don't, we don't have that over here. Well, wait a minute, that, that cannot be uh, maybe they're afraid to let you know that they're suffering from homelessness because everyone is supposed to be okay. Uh, my student is doing just fine. Um, so letting administrators and staff and teachers, everyone know like it is okay for a family to come to you, providing that safe space. Um, one of the things that ADD has offered other liaisons are all liaisons is a poster and a poster that is supposed to be posted at every school site. And it's supposed to be posted in four different locations. It's supposed to be the poster. I, uh, it spells out what McKinney Vento is. It spells out what homelessness might look like. It spells out what services are offered if you are identified as McKinney Vento. And it also spells out who to contact if you feel like you meet disqualification. So what it has my information on it and it has the state representative Sylvia Chavez's name on it. So that is the first part part of helping families. Wait a minute, that could be me. If they can just read that, maybe it's on, it should be outside of each school. It should be on their bulletin board. It should be outside. So if you can't get inside, it's posted there. Maybe a family goes, wait a minute, they read it. No one's around, no one sees. Okay, that is me. And there's a number provided. This poster is also posted on the PUSD website. All you have to do is go to the families tab on our main website, go to the homeless services and boom, it pops up. Uh, it's also on every school's lobby. So once they walk in, you'll see this posted everywhere. It's also in the nurses station and the counseling department and the psych department. And then I've instructed all staff to put this any other place, students may go to read it. Families may come to conjugate so that they see, wait a minute, there is help. So I, I'm, I'm trying to provide a, a, a safe space. So when they read this, they see, wait a minute, there is help for us. Uh, and they can get this help uh, in a confidential manner. They can call me and then I can get to the bottom of it without broadcasting it to everybody to eliminate that stigma. That's that's a really key part. And I think it's even um, for the families or the students who might see those post posters in those areas, it's kind of just a sign of you're not in this alone. And it 
um, is that first step to them receiving whatever help or anything they may need. And it's that first kind of sign of hope for a lot of them. Um, Reese, it is really, really evident. And not only what we've talked about so far this morning, um, but just in how you carry yourself and how um, much you advocate for your program and your students and families that you support. And it's just, you have such a passion for it. And I cannot imagine um, doing the work that you do every day of just how much that must weigh on your heart. Um, how, how do you balance just all of this on a day-to-day basis? Sarah, it's, it's, it's challenging. Absolutely. Um, so yes, this is my passion and anyone talking to me would see that. That's just not, I can't hide that. That's just what it is. Um, but post COVID, this has become even more challenging. Um, so I've, I've developed some self care type practices that helps me get through my day. And it helps me uh, understand, uh, Reese, uh, I'm doing the best that I can. Um, and so one of those self-care techniques that I use is, is right before I walk out of my office every day, I have a, a strategy that I, I take all my baggage, I take everything that I'm carrying and I put it aside. I put it in one of my backpacks. This is a mental trick that I play on myself. I put it in my mental backpack and I leave it at the door. And so when I walk outside that door, I have to put on a new backpack, which is my family and um, my other hobbies, so to speak. So I put that new backpack on and I move on. I also do a lot of um, reflection, a lot of meditation. I do this in my car when I get in there, um, thinking about these other uh, challenges in my lives. Uh, and really, my kids, um, my kids, and as they should be, they're a big inspiration to me. Uh, and, and they are attending this district. Uh, they are great kiddos. I'm not saying that just because they're my kids. They just are great kids. And they help me laugh. Uh, they help me cry sometimes. Um, I have a really good family foundation, which is to me key to help um, refuel my passion bucket, so to speak. But I do the same technique when I'm leaving to come here every day. I leave that backpack at home and then I come here and as soon as I walk through the door, I put back on my McKinney Vento foster care backpack and I go to work. And so that's how I do. I do a lot of reflection and I try to leave a lot of stuff at the door. When I walk out of here, I try not to take it with me. But post COVID, that is very difficult to do. Sarah, what I'm finding is I, I've uh, our team has done a great job of identifying families and our team has done a great job of getting families to open up and tell us what they need and how we can help them. But what I'm finding is we don't actually have the services that they actually need because homelessness is so bad right now. Um, families don't have housing and there's just no space. So I can provide them a resource. I can give them a, a, a referral to the family housing hub. But when they go down there, they're getting on a waiting list. But that doesn't help the family right now. Mm -hmm. I can give them a, fam a re referral to the CAP office. The CAP office helps families pay for electricity and rent sometimes. Well, what does a family do if the CAP office no longer has any resources? Um, I can send a family down to a shelter program. But what do you do if the shelter program is full? And so these are the obstacles and barriers that I'm running against. At first, I was giving out these referrals and I would have families call me and say, oh, thank you for the referral. I'm in a shelter now and they're going to help me get a place, you know, and just great stories. But now I'm hearing all I did was get put on a list. I'm still homeless. What can you do for me? And so they're asking for this help, but I don't have it. Now, I've done everything I can do, but the resource is just not there. And that breaks my heart. And so it's very hard to just leave it at the door when I know a family is about to be homeless tonight. Right. I, I can't imagine. I would, I would hazard to say just with how everything has changed in the last two years, resources are strained kind of across the board and the needs are greater than they have been in a really, really long time. 
Um, yes. And so it, I, outside of just there is a lack of services, what else has changed for you and your work over the last couple of years? Um, well, an influx of families that are eligible for services. Um, we really want families to remain in the school of origin. So the school of origin is where uh, the homeless initiated, where it all originated from. And so we want families to stay in that school of origin. They've established relationships with, with their peers and with staff. So we want them to stay there. And families want to stay there. But if they have moved around and now they're out of our boundaries, it's hard to provide that transportation. So post-COVID, even our district is suffering from, uh, we don't have a, a, enough drivers sometimes. Um, now we have to do, and we've been doing it, but it's just more now, we do what we call a shared transportation request. So if a student has moved outside our boundaries into another district boundary, we call that other district and say, hey, one of our students has moved into your boundaries. You're now the school of residency. However, the student wants to remain in their school of origin. Can we do a shared transportation request? And of course the district says yes, because everybody wants to eliminate the barrier and help. But if they're short drivers and we're short drivers, how does that student get back and forth to school? And it's very, very challenging. And so I can't manage someone else's transportation department just like they can't manage mine. So we say, hey, we give our families three to five business days uh, for our transportation to begin. Well, some other families or districts may have that same policy, but I can't make them start on the same date as ours transportation. So it's it's very difficult to coordinate, especially if you don't have enough staff. That's what, for, to me right now, our biggest challenge is the shared transportation request or the, the lack of driving and support. So um, I don't know what we can do about that, but I continue to chop at it and, and work at it and try to coordinate and do what I can do to, um, to eliminate the barriers. Another big barrier that I'm finding is, uh, and maybe you, you might experience this as well, but we have these policies in place. And we write policies and processes and procedures for a reason, okay? However, post-COVID, we, we have, well, let's go during COVID. COVID has taught us, at least it's taught me, sometimes we need to be flexible. Sometimes sticking to the status quo might not be in the student's best interest. Um, what I find now is sometimes we have staff that are great at what they do, but they're sticking to what the policy is and how it's written out. And maybe it doesn't apply now. It applied then, but it doesn't apply now. And so we're trying to put this round peg in this square hole and it doesn't fit because we're trying to follow the policy and the practice. But things have changed now. There are a lot of families working from home. There are a lot more homelessness. There's a lot, there's a, uh, less services to, to give. So why are we still trying to operate under the same premise pre-COVID? It's post-COVID and we know the world has changed, but we have not changed as far as our policies and procedures. That is a big deal right now. Yeah, um, it's almost like the world changed in an instant and we're now all just trying to play catch up to catch up to how much it has changed. Um, Reese, I know that you have just so much on your plate um, working with and finding services for these families. And I don't wanna keep you too much longer. Before I let you go though, is there anything else um, you wanna share with our community, either if they know someone who is struggling with homelessness or they themselves are, um, what advice would you give them? Fill out an application. Um, have the family fill out an application. If you know they're suffering, fill out the application for them. Um, if you don't know where they are, again, they're at your school. I would go to the school and they will tell you where the applications are if you don't see them yourself. If you see the poster yourself, call me. I am here. I have the open book policy uh, on, the, on the poster itself. It has my email address. It also has my phone number. So call me, send me an email, uh, and I will get back to you. Um, that's, that's the best advice that I could give them. Uh, reach out. Um, don't, don't be afraid to reach out, and it's happening. Um, my list is growing. Um, 
And I'm glad that it is growing. So just reach out, look on those posters, ask your administrative staff, ask your supportive staff, heck, even ask bus drivers, ask crossing guards. I mean, I have these trainings with a plethora of people across our district. Ask your social worker. Somebody knows on that campus how to get a hold of me uh, and how to get you services. Perfect. Well, Reese, thank you again for taking the time out of your day um, to talk and share a little bit about this um, service that we provide that I know impacts and helps so many families um, remove some of those barriers to their children's education. Uh, so thank you again, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. I appreciate it, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me, and I, I hope I, I got the message across. We are doing a fantastic job here in Peoria Unified. Um, all I can say is go Peoria Unified School District, uh, one student at a time. Tax credit donations can support your child or a specific program within Peoria Unified, and you can receive a dollar for dollar return on your state taxes. What you give, you get. Anyone who resides in the state of Arizona can submit a tax credit donation to Peoria Unified for either $400 if you're filing jointly as a couple or for $200 as an individual filing alone. You can submit a tax credit donation between now and April 15th, either by donating online at peoriaunified.org slash tax credit or by visiting us in person at any of our schools. If you have any questions, you can always visit peoriaunified.org slash tax credit, which will be linked in the show notes. Again, please make your tax credit donation at peoriaunified.org slash tax credit. Hello and welcome, Jessica. We are so excited to have you here today to talk a little bit about the Family Resource Center. Um, to start, can you share a little bit about yourself and your role here in Peoria Unified? Yes, absolutely. So first, thank you so much for having me. Um, secondly, so my role is the coordinator. I'm the coordinator for the Family Resource Center, uh, which is just a fancy way of saying that I get to oversee our three locations and uh, manage the budget and help with scheduling. <laughs> That is a very fancy way of doing it, but I also know you do so much more um, in between all of those things. Can you share a little bit about what the Family Resource is and who's eligible for services through the Family Resource Center? Yes, absolutely. So the Family Resource Center is essentially a community hub for just a wide range of programs and services. And it's specifically for families that have children birth to five, not yet in kindergarten, and or mothers who are pregnant. And I would be remiss um, if I talked about the Family Resource Center and not our amazing uh, funding source, which is First Things First. And First Things First is Arizona's only public funding source dedicated exclusively to early childhood, which as somebody who spent my entire career in early childhood, I think that is absolutely amazing. And there I have a variety of programs out there that First Things First funds and the Family Resource Center happens to be one of them. That's amazing. And you mentioned that we have three sites for the Family Resource Center. Do you mind sharing where those are? Yes, absolutely. So we have our main location is at Skyview, which is where I am located. Uh, it also happens to be where we have our preschool office, which works perfectly because we work very closely with the preschool program. And our second location is at Desert Palms Elementary. And we had a third one at Country Meadows, and we've just recently relocated to Alta Loma. And we are actually finding that it is such a wonderful fit over there. Alta Loma already has some really great programs um, set up for their families. And so it, we can just kind of get right in and start working with them on those. Now, I will say that our Skyview is open five days a week. Um, Alta Loma and Desert Palms have alternating dates. Oh, that's amazing. And that's really nice too, because they're kind of spread out throughout our community. So wherever a family may be living or just it's easy for them to get to, it's just those nice different locations kind of spread across Peoria Unified. Yes, absolutely. And we even actually do some activities and um, some outreach things at the Peoria Main Library and the Glendale Main Libraries, as well as Rio Vista, so that we can try to reach other families in the communities that may not be able to get to the school or just happen to be at the library so we can tell them about our program and our services. That's amazing. And when you talk about the services that you provide, I know that it may seem, oh, from a woman being pregnant to a child entering um, kindergarten, it's a short period of time, but a lot of development happens in that period of time. So much. So, 
So what do those services look like and how do they kind of differ on our different sites and things like that? So we're kind of twofold. The one thing that we do, and I think this is what people tend to be most familiar with, is we provide activities for families with those kiddos. So it could be um, mom that stays home. Maybe it's the grandma that stays home, dad, child care provider. Um, it, it doesn't matter what the relationship is. Um, they can come with with their child. So I always like to remind people it's not drop in. We are not child care. Our goal is really to get that um, caregiver here with their child and participating in activities that are going to really help get them ready for school. So part of it's that socialization with other children, but learning those rules. And when we come to the classroom, we're going to walk and we're gonna come in and wash our hands and we're gonna take turns and we're going to sit in our chair instead of standing on it. And that's, um, we have tons and tons of family that really love those activities coming to those um, getting their children to interact with other kids. They get to interact with other grownups, which is always kind of nice. Uh, and then we also, with those activities, some of our activities are just geared towards the parents. So we have workshops. We just recently completed um, a potty training introductory workshop. And then this coming month in February, we'll be doing the follow-up piece to that. So we do have some parent workshops there. And uh, when we do a parent workshop, we do typically offer child supervision because we know that a lot of families that we're working with the caregiver is home. And so if they had to come to a workshop, they don't have anybody else to care for the child. But then the other piece of what we do, um, and I think this is kind of like the hidden gem that people don't really realize we're here for, is we can offer resources, referrals, and information. And that looks like all kinds of things. So if you are in need of food and clothing, we can do that legwork and find the places that have food and clothing banks. And, and we don't know anything that people don't know about. It's not like we have these secret resources that um, we're only told about, but it takes a lot of time to find them and find what's open and what the eligibility requirements are. And if you are a working family or you're in crisis or you don't have internet, you don't have the time to do that. So we will take that on. We will do the legwork. We will let you know where those resources are. Like I said, it could be food and clothing. Um, it could be that you need a dental provider that's low cost. Uh, it could be that you just want some information about child development and um, you know, maybe you have some concerns about how your child is developing and you want to see if they could get a developmental screening and we can refer you to a zip or child find, depending on the age of your, you know, your kiddo. So there's all kinds of resources out there that we are happy to help with. Um, and we actually have one, one particular person that that's her entire job. That is what she does day in and day out is she connects with families, finds them the information that they need, and then follows up to make sure that they're able to get it. That's a really great resource. And I think especially just being able to funnel all of that information into one place for families is so helpful because I mean, especially like you said, if you're a family in crisis, there's probably a million and two questions running through your head and to be able mm -hmm. to have a resource like this that can answer maybe only half of them, that's still, that's a much better position than they were in before they came to you. Um, and then another really great thing about the Family Resource Center, I think, is the sustainability of it. And so it's that idea that you guys are giving the parents the tools so that when they leave the workshops or the programs, they can go apply those strategies at home with their kids to really set them up for success. Um, throughout the year, I know you, you mentioned you have your potty training workshops and you do just so many different things. Um, and events for the community. Is there one that is your favorite or you think you, that you guys just see the best benefit out of it? We've actually got two that I really love. So one of them we were able to start this year. Our family educators got uh, trained in yoga. And so once a month we do a yoga class and we've actually had so many people coming that we've split it so that we have one that's meant for those three, four and five-year-olds and one that's meant for those younger, you know, infant through two-year-olds so that we can really meet their needs. But it's just so fun. They get to get up with, you know, mom and grandma, dad, whoever comes with them and move around and do some yoga and then do those breathing exercises at the end and kind of just, you know, like a brief, just little calming point at the end. And there's usually always an activity for them to do, which is always fun for the kiddos. But the other one that I would say is so fun for us to do and is definitely a family favorite is what we call our yummy discovery. 
And so families come and we read a book and most of our activities, um, they get a, whatever book we read, they get to take a copy with them. We love giving out books. Um, so we read the book and then there's some sort of a, like a little snack, or I've heard it called a snack activity before, um, where the kids get to make something and it has to do with maybe a character in the book or possibly the food they did. So most recently we read a book called Sneezy the Snowman. And the kids got to make their own little savory snowmen out of mozzarella pearls and tomatoes and carrots. And they even had some balsamic. And we really love with that introducing foods that maybe they're not as familiar with. You know, so a lot of times our kids have cheese sticks, but a mozzarella pearl is a very different texture and even a slightly different taste. And we were able to expose our kids to that and the balsamic and but it's just super fun to see them get creative and and teach the parents that, hey, it's actually OK to let them play with their food, especially if you have a picky eater. Letting them play with their food, make their own food is a great way to get them interested in it. So that's just I love watching that one. That's so exciting. And I think that's also um, like you said, it's one of those hidden gem kind of things where you're exposing kids in that one program to so many things. Um, mm -hmm. You're giving them resources so that they can go home and they have another book to read so they can practice um, some of that early literacy and things like that, but also exposing them to foods and then doing kind of that discovery that is so important for kids at that age and that learning how to play and learning through play that I think is sometimes overlooked, but just so vital, especially at that early childhood age. Oh, it absolutely is. I, I came from a classroom teacher background. And when I first started this job, I, I wasn't the coordinator the first year. I was a family educator. And Within a couple of weeks, I realized, oh my goodness, I am getting to do with these kids, the play piece of it that they desperately needed to do in a classroom. But, you know, we know with all the constraints of time and funding and all that, they you know, we just can't do all those things all the time. And I love that we are able to provide that opportunity here. We are able to provide it for free. We're able to help inform the caregivers a little bit that, hey, this play is so crucial and they are learning. You don't have to sit down with the flashcards and memorize the colors, they'll learn that through this play. And it's so much more fun and easy for you to do it with them that way. Definitely. And I know um, there's just, I mean, like you've mentioned, there's so many different benefits that we don't see. And like, even with the yoga, you're getting parents and caregivers the opportunity to connect with other caregivers who might be in a similar situation. And so there's just so many different components that in these this one program or this one block of time that they're able to get out of it. Um, and I know, I mean, it goes kind of without saying that the pandemic has changed a your scope of work mm -hmm. um, and b just the way you guys have to um, do your work. What has that shift looked like for you over the last couple of years? So we're kind of finally getting back to normal, but that first March, I remember we went on spring break and then we came back and we weren't allowed to come back. And I thought, okay, what are we going to do? We work with children and families and we can't, we can't be with them. So we actually started out working from home, um, the whole staff, and we would just, use our Facebook to start with. And we would do different posts, um, some videos and things of activities they could do. And then as a staff, as we were finally able to get ourselves back into our, our rooms, um, we just launched full force into a virtual. And although working with young children, we are not huge advocates of being on a computer um, that much. It's what we were able to do. And so we would still provide our activities, many of the same ones that we did. They looked a little different because we would do a uh, once a month pick up so families would register and we would get bags together that had the book and materials for them to do one or two activities they would come pick it up on the day of their activity we sent them a link so they could get onto microsoft teams and then we did our activities live on microsoft teams and the kids could chime in and do their activity and listen to the book and they have their books with them and we did that for about a year and we had such amazing feedback from families saying, you know, thank you so much. Even just the once a month, you know, we'll get out of the house, come pick up our bags. We get to, you know, wave hi to you guys. We'll pick up lunch on the way home. It's just a 
you know, something in our routine that we're able to to do, get out of the house, have fun. But then they got to come online and see their, you know, they're, they're these little ones, they call us their teachers. And, you know, so they got to come on and see their teachers and go to school and, you know, see some of their other friends online. And it was truly amazing. And we did that for a full year and then we were finally able to come back in person. And that's been slow. I mean, we want to be cautious and make sure that our families are safe. Um, and But on the other hand, we have so many families that are like, we want to come in. We want to get out of the house. We want our kids to be around other kids and to socialize and to come play. Um, so that was that's that was a it was a hard switch to go virtual. And then in some ways, it was actually a really difficult switch to come back in person. But it's been really great. And I think that it it makes us appreciate being able to see our families in person so much more and how important that connection is between, you know, the grownups, but also just between the kids and seeing other kids. And and luckily with the referral piece of it, we were able to keep that going the whole time because even though we weren't physically on site for a while, we could still, you know, get a hold of us via phone, email, you know, all of those ways. And we were still able to get that information out. So that was, you know, a huge piece that luckily was not, um, you know, didn't have to get changed or slowed down because of the pandemic. That's really amazing. I was going to ask you because I would imagine most of these families that come to you for those referrals are like you mentioned earlier, they're facing some sort of a crisis, whatever that may be, or whatever that might look like. And then you add a pandemic, which is another crisis on top of that. Um, And that's just such an important and key role. So it's really good to hear that you guys are able to still provide all of that throughout the pandemic and school closures and just kind of have that stability for a lot of those families. Yeah, absolutely. And and now that we're open and up and running, um, if families need to come in and use the computer to do a job search or to submit an application for services, or they're just like, hey, I've got this, you know, form I need to fill out to get help through this agency, and I'm just not quite sure how to do it. They can come make an appointment and meet with our referral specialists. And we have a printer and a scanner and a computer and and just that person to be there to kind of support them because they're they're 100% capable of doing it. But sometimes it's just nice to have somebody sitting next to you to you know, give you a pointer or just let you know that you're doing great. And hey, by the way, don't forget to answer question number two. Yeah, it's kind of that um, just like the support that comes with having someone next to you to fill out the questionnaire or whatever it may be. Um, I wanted to also ask you, we've mentioned, you know, for the students, especially they're coming in and they're learning a little bit of a routine. This is how you start class. You wash your hands. Do you notice when these students either enter preschool or kindergarten having some of those skills um, already created for them? Do you notice that helping them at all? Yes, absolutely. Because we have some families that um, we've got the older siblings come and they go off to school and the younger siblings come and they'll tell us like they did so great transitioning into that because they were used to, you know, coming onto a school campus and having to take their turns and things like that. And we're not, I mean, it's not the exact same as going to, you know, preschool every day, obviously, because it's not the same day. They might be going to three locations. They're going to have different teachers, but it's, it's really, really helpful to be able to come in and just not be the only kid and not, you know, not only, not always just have it be your way and have to learn that there's, you know, other people around and you'll have to take turns and, you know, follow rules besides what mom tells you. And yeah, we've had tons of families tell us like this was so helpful and just really got them ready for school. And especially those families that maybe want to put their, their children into preschool, but it's really pricey and they can't afford it. And this is that great middle ground that still allows them to get that exposure and that school readiness without spending all that money. That's really great to hear. And then I would imagine that something somewhat similar happens on the side of the caregiver or the parent that because they're able to network it with and have kind of that sense of community with other parents and caregivers going through maybe similar situations, um, that, that, that helps that group of, um, people as well. Is that the case? Oh, absolutely. And we've seen groups where, um, they end up, you know, over spring, cause we follow the school schedule. So spring break, winter break, we're closed. They end up making a little group together and they get together and have a picnic over break or have a play date, or they all choose to, you know, Hey, we're all going to go to the library 
free story time on Tuesday. So they all do that together. And it just creates such a great support system for those, those families that are at home. Cause it can get lonely being home, just you and your kiddo all the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then not having anybody to talk to and, you know, Hey, they're, they're doing this today. Do you, do you ever see this at home? And what, how do you deal with that? And, and they can ask us that and we will absolutely, you know, give them some guidance, but sometimes you just want to talk to somebody else that's in the exact same situation as you. And it's, it's great for them to have that. And we had a group here that they come to the activities here, but they also go to the library two or three days a week together. So the kids get to know each other, the grownups get to know each other, you know, they're texting each other when they're not here to, to plan other play dates. And it's a great support for, for both the, the grownups and the kids. That's really special. Um, and I, I would imagine also that that, that is something that does not end once a student enters kindergarten. Those are kind of the relationships and mm-hmm. friendships that last for quite some time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we ourselves love it when we run into somebody that's kind of aged out of our program and they're in school, but maybe they come to something that we have on the weekend that's open to all ages. And, you know, we get to see them and then we realize that they see this family and oh, my gosh, you guys are still in touch and the kids are still getting together. And it's it's really cool. That's so special Um, for any community member who either just wants to learn more about the Family Resource Center or um, is maybe in need of some of the services that you guys provide, where would you go and where would you connect them? Absolutely. So we do have a Facebook page, um, which is just at Peoria Unified FRC. Uh, But I would say definitely check out our website. So PeoriaUnified.org backslash Family Resource Center. You can get to it from the Peoria website. You can do a simple Google search for Peoria Family Resource Center. And our website is going to have all the information that you're going to need, our phone number, email, all kinds of ways to contact us. Um, There is also an online referral request form, which so if a family is in need, that is definitely my um, my go to is fill out that online referral request form, asks a couple questions, ask for some contact information, the best time, the best way to contact you. And then we will get a hold of them to, you know, have a have a conversation, get some further details and see what we can do to help them out. But definitely check out the website. That is great. Um, Before I let you go, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us and sharing a little bit about the Family Resource Center. Is there anything else you would want to share with our community about it or some of the work that you guys are doing or programs coming up? Well, our website also has all of our activities that are coming up. So our February is pretty booked, but keep an eye on that. Um, The other thing I would say is check out First Things First website. So as much as we have to offer, there are tons of other resource centers out there that are all supported by First Things First. And maybe we don't have a program that somebody's looking for, or we're not the closest um, area to somebody else. If you can go to the First Things First website and check out their programs, put in your zip code, because Family Resource Centers are just such an amazing resource. And I want to make sure that families know where they are in all over the city, all over the state. And there, there are no restrictions on who can go. It doesn't matter where you live, what city you're in, what school district you're in. You can go to any family resource center and get the services that you need. So I would say just that. Check out First Things First Family Resource Centers. Uh, we have families that will go to two and three different ones. And then they worry like, oh, are we supposed to? Yes, please. It is a free service out there for you. We want you to use it. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Jessica, for joining and sharing so much information about this amazing resource we have. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Trending Peoria. As always, you can learn more about the programs we spoke about in this episode at peoriaunified.org slash trendingpeoria. If you liked what you heard, please rate us, leave a review, and check out our companion podcast, The Progress Report, which comes out quarterly. Trending Peoria is made possible with the support of the Peoria Unified School District's communications team, comprised of Danielle Airy, Aaron Dunsey, Jacob Stanek, Natalie Zenobiev, and our producer, David Colley, and host, Sarah Meredith.